thank you guys for hanging out with um, us backstage. Um, so these are going to be some directed questions, and I'm going to direct them at you guys. I'll throw them at you. Uh, this one's going to be for Keith. Uh, Black Rose says, how would you rate Dodge Maximum Correctional Facility on whatever scale you would rate it? Keith, do you have a re rating for that facility? Well, uh, it is a maximum security facility. It's surrounded by uh, gun towers, fences. Uh, there's an old moat wall that they had when it was a, when it was a hospital for the criminal insane. Uh, it, it is a very secure facility. The inmate movement is extremely controlled. Uh, for example, the, the unit that he's in will go down and they'll keep the dining hall. Maybe with one other unit, Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, Black Rose is throwing out like 19 comments, uh, questions here, so I'm going to skip over some of those. But um, here's an actual good one. The second one that she asked is, does, I'll ask you this one, Anthony. Uh, Black Rose 11 wants to know, does Chris Watts have friends that are guards, perhaps? Does that happen? Uh, I know you talk about them on your show. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna hope to say no, because if there's a chance that there's a relationship prior to, I mean, first of all, that's one of the reasons probably why he was shipped out of state to eliminate uh, maybe any possible connections. I mean, the, the, the initial concerns when they go to a jail, uh, obviously there's a, a chance they could have close contacts, but for the officers that are professional, if they have any relationship with that inmate that they feel is a conflict or they are told to submit a report, probably send it to administration and uh, probably the investigative division, and then they should do what they do to accommodate that. So if I have an officer that says, hey, I, I know this inmate, I feel this is going to be a conflict, uh, then you, you limit that contact with that officer. But the other concern is due to manipulation, we're always worried that friendships develop. Uh, so it would, interaction. It, would, it would be safe to say here that that answer is maybe. Uh, I hate maybe, but I get your point. I get your point. Okay. Thank you for that, Black Rose. And I'm going to ask one more from Black Rose. And if I ask another one, then she's going to have to pay for it. <laughs> she says, uh, and, and Keith or Anthony, you can chime in. And, and Connie, if you think you know the answer, you can chime in. Black Rose 11 says, will Chris Watts stay at Dodge Correctional for the rest of his natural born life? You, want to you know, there's a very good possibility that he does so. Uh, Dodge Correctional Institution has many inmates that have been there for 30 and 40 years now. Okay, so for those of you who didn't hear that, Keith just said they have inmates, because your audio is still a little low in my ear, and some people are saying in the chat. Um, he said okay. that there's inmates there for 30 and 40 years at Dodge. But the only concern I have with that is they have a compact agreement with another state. If by chance that compact agreement gets terminated, then the state may have to send the inmate back over to Colorado. Okay. Yeah. But at Dodge, we also have an infirmary there. And at that infirmary, we get a lot of inmates that are finishing up their life sentence. What's an infirmary, uh, Keith? It's, it's uh, a hospital. They, they have hospice care, things of that nature, and they take care of the inmates, and a lot of the lifers die at Dodge Correctional Institution as they're there for that reason. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for that. All right, we're moving along to Dawn Marie, and this question is for Connie. Holy cannoli. <laughs> um, so here, Dawn Marie puts in, and she's, a, a like Black Rose, one of my main moderators and wonderful friend of the Duty Run Crime Time family. She says, Connie, when someone like Chris Watts refuses a psych eval, besides increasing the level of surveillance on him, what else can be done at the facility especially considering that they're technically liable for the safety, even though he is a cold-blooded murderer. So if he was to refuse psych eval, Connie, go ahead. So there's a couple of things that I think could happen or that I've witnessed happen. So one is, yes, they would do continue the, the, the constant watch on him. I think the other thing that I've seen is them get transferred to a higher level of psychiatric treatment. So depending on the level of care that that facility is able to provide, they might, he might actually get transferred out to a higher level of care where that eval would be mandated. So there may be some court proceedings in between there to sort of mandate the psych eval, like he can't refuse. Um, and, and really, it is to make sure like we're able to manage him. So if, if for some reason we find that we're unable to manage him, there's a possibility of him being taken to a space where they have a higher level of care. But in most facilities, there is an actual psychiatrist present. And particularly, I'm assuming in this case, there would be psychiatric you know, staff available to make sure that this happens. So there's times where they simply just can't refuse. Hey, Ron, if I may compliment. Remember, he is in Wisconsin, but he's still a Colorado inmate. So a lot of the things that have to be approved have to be approved by Colorado to be in compliance uh, with whatever the contract is that Colorado expects. Right. So I would imagine that a lot of that, um, you know, is just basically um, conveyed through paperwork and they know, okay, we have to do this under Colorado statutes and blah, 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 blah. Um, let's move along to the questions. Uh, Trish comes in and she chimes in. Uh, actually, Dawn Marie, I have to give her two because I gave Black Rose a bunch. These ladies will start fighting with each other, so I got to do this. Dawn Marie says, what is a typical day like for him? I think we covered that with uh, Captain Helwig, uh, retired captain. I know he's going to correct me at the end of this. Don't, don't keep calling me captain. I'm retired. Well, it's about respect, sir. Um, Trish Norman says, does Chris Watts and others receive any type of psychological therapy when they enter into the system? If so, is this routine? I think we covered that already. Yes and yes. Okay. Mimi J2, who's another great moderator and great friend of the Duty Run Crime Time family, she says, is there any, is there a true percentage of inmates that actually lose their minds in jail? This is a great question. I imagine not everyone can handle the stress of being incarcerated. Connie, this is a ground ball of your out. <laughs> well, listen, um, people mentally decompensate when they are in prison, right? You know, I think dealing with the realities of not being close to family, of not having their freedom, of being closed in, you name it, you know, prison isn't a space where you're supposed to be comfortable, right? And so for many people, adjusting to this being their new reality of life, especially for life, and in this case, a life sentence, we do see that mental decompensation. We see people needing psychiatric support, all levels of psychotherapy, psychotropic meds, you name it, we see it and we treat it. Wow. 
Amazing. Great question and great answer, Connie. I, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, here's a question coming in from counsel, Joe Murray, a uh, criminal defense attorney. He's, he, I tell you, Joe Murray jumps in. If I gave him the link, he'd come in here and question all of us. Um, Joe Murray's question is, I was just informed that one of my clients serving 28 and a half years to life, who is in bow in his 23rd year, just had a biopsy due to a very high PSA testing uh, test suspecting prostate cancer. Okay, so I'm not sure what the question is. I was just informed that one of my clients serving 28 and a half years to life, who is who is Bo in his who is now in his 23rd year, just had a biopsy due to his high PSA testing suspecting prostate cancer. What do you think that maybe happened in a, a subsequent exam for a complaint of maybe stomach pain or you know bowel movement or something like that, right? Or irregular bowel movement, and then they could could order that a doctor. I don't know if Joe is thinking about compassionate releases too. Sometimes when you have inmates that are uh, diagnosed with something terminal, uh, especially if they're going through hospice, uh, they could put in for compassionate release written by the doctor, folded up, and usually. Here's the question. You're, you're right on it, Anthony. This is how good you are. So the follow-up, Josh, our producer, is banging out. He's typing out these questions. It says, have inmates successfully uh, used medical for early parole release? Hmm. There it is. <laughs> so that's using the process. Bill Cosby today. Yeah, yeah, Bill Cosby. Yeah, but a little different case with Bill Cosby. Some dialogue with the prosecutor. But they, the doctor would definitely have to uh, put the request in. Um, it'll probably get sent up to administration, be forwarded out, and then they'll make the decision. But the decision also is based on if the inmate is still a threat. Uh, but there's a lot of dialogue that happens when it comes to a compassion release. It's not always automatic. All right, and, and um, so either you or Keith take this one because Joe paid ten bucks for this question. How do, how long does it take for medical parole? Uh, you want to you want to? I could go. I'm gonna go first, Keith, or no? Go ahead. Uh, so it depends on the concern of the uh, what the inmate's facing. So uh, you know, if you have an inmate that you know is terminal, and we're talking about days, I've seen stuff pushed through to get the person out. Uh, if it's a process, like maybe they're six months to a year but maybe they're still functional it could, it could take that amount of time but ultimately it's when the person is perceived to no longer be a threat as declared through uh medical so again it really depends on the situation of the uh, of the inmate the medical concern and uh i think that's a big part of that keith you want to chime in i can say that in wisconsin i've seen very few compassionate releases done uh Someone like Chris Watts will never get a compassionate release. Uh, not only he's awarded in the state of Wisconsin. Now, if Colorado ordered it, of course, the state would have to go along with it. But as far as the state of Wisconsin letting someone uh, who committed such a heinous act as Chris Watts had out on a compassionate leave, that's just not going to happen. I've seen numerous people, uh, in fact, on our infirmary that we had at Dodge Correctional Institution, there are a lot of people who were dying of cancer. They were dying of, of many different things. But what people have to realize is a lot of their families have gone on and lived their lives without them, and they really don't want to be burdened with that individual when they get into the final stages of their life as well. Yeah, you know, it's so right. I mean, a lot of it is really cost-effective. I think Connie could comment on that later, where they, they definitely take into account uh, how much it's going to cost to keep that inmate. So if you have an inmate that... It's going to be on hospice for long term. 
and that's going to cost the state some serious amount of money. Oh, I, I'll guarantee, you know, Clement, um, compassionate releases could, would be considered. So they definitely will weigh out how, how much that treatment is going to cost <laughs> long term. You know, we've, we've had people with brain cancer. We had a person, you know, at one point who had like this rare blood disease, blood disease. I think treatment was like upwards of a million dollars. Right. And so we're not going to keep that person in prison. You know, that person will probably be expedited as far as their release goes. So it depends. Not to let not to let anybody get afraid here, because now remember we have uh, a bunch of people in the chat like saying, "Holy <laughs> Chris Watts will never get out on early release. He has five life sentences with no chance of parole." What we're talking about is people who have a parole put into their sentence. Okay, so if it says you know twenty five to life or life in prison without parole, then that person is not going to be afforded that. He will die. A slow death uh, from you know uh, rectal cancer in jail. This is what I hope for. That's the, I, that's why I said that. Sorry. And some states don't even allow the inmate to do the D, uh, the DNR uh, because yeah. don't forget the inmate is still uh, the state's in charge of that inmate. So I, I've seen inmates try to do DNRs, and the states are like, you know, we, we may not be able to honor that. Right. So it, it, it depends on you know the state. So I had, to sh I had to throw that in, and I'm getting some people laughing in the chat about the rectal cancer. But you know what? Chris Watts, if anybody deserves it, and I would never wish that on anybody, uh, he would be one person and that I would wish it on because he is a true, true uh, evil, sick monster. Let me look at the chat quickly because I, I favored all of the uh, folks who, who took the time to send in uh, uh uh, questions in my discord group so let me say this quickly if you're not part of my discord group please go over and subscribe to all things duty ron all one word d-u-t-y-r-o-n instagram facebook and twitter and go over to my facebook youtube video share group and my police and crime chat group send a request to join that and go on to dutyron.com it's an easy one-stop shop to get all access to everything discord uh, my discord group is unbelievable because after this live is over i go into the discord group and i'm chatting away with everybody so become a member of my discord group it costs nothing guys joining us everybody make sure you are abiding by the law because criminal defense attorney joe murray is here <laughs> coming remote from his office over in an undisclosed location i cannot say where joe murray is right now <laughs> But if you need a criminal defense attorney, go over to Joe Murray, and I have his website on my uh, my website, JoeMurrayLaw.com. Hey, Joe, what's going on, brother? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love when you have these guys on because I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm really struggling with this one. This is a guy I went to high school with. Obviously, he's got 23 years in. I was still a cop when he committed his crime. So I didn't represent him, but I'm, I'm trying to help him now. And you mentioned something about compassionate relief or release. What's better to do? Is it is medical parole the better avenue? If he's got this prostate cancer, he's 55. It was his first offense. Unfortunately, it was a murder. And uh, the, the compassionate release may override because medical parole is tough. That, that's 
I mean, they're both, and, and I'm sure like right? Yeah, the, the, the medical parole is tough. I, I believe that's going to have more uh, channels to go through. I, I would think the compassionate release uh, it'd probably be more successful. Connie, uh, w- would you agree the medical parole is hard? Yeah, medical parole is really hard. Um, I would say compassionate release is the best because then they don't have to go before a board for that review. That's more of like an administrative decision. Um, and so, you know, yeah, both of them, I don't, both of them still, you have to go through the same criteria of evaluation and such to ensure that that person is still not a threat. So, and, and I don't know that unless they've given him like an, an expiration date, I hate to say that, right? that too may be a reason why he may not be granted the medical uh, other parole or compassionate release for that matter. Connie, let me chime in quickly while you're talking. Trish Norman sends in a $5 super chat. Does medical parole guidelines vary state to state? It may. I'm, I'm almost certain that it does. Okay. Yeah, there, I, I, would, I, I agree with Connie. I believe there's a lot of consistencies in regards to the procedure, uh, you know, panel, one for whatever it is, but uh, for the most part, uh, I, I think it even varies case by case, you okay. know, because each thing is uh, literally uh, defined by the individual who's requesting it. I could tell you one thing right now, and I know Joe Murray just a short period of time, but he is a brother in blue, and he's a criminal defense attorney. He will be researching this yeah. about if parole guidelines vary from state to state, and I will have a complete report on my desk in the morning. I know it. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Um, Pug sends in a directed $2 super chat and said. Chris Watts here. Okay, <laughs> let, me, let me reel this 
this nightmare. Hold on, you mother. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, a free Fryja Dragon sends in a $5 super chat and says, don't worry, we're putting you to work. Uh, you're on the payroll. Is Chris Watts trying for a 35C? That's to try to get his case dismissed. I say no because I looked into that, and I could say with extreme certainty that is a no. What's the chances of 35C on five life sentences with no parole? <laughs> Joe? No, but wait, a 35C with no... I missed that. CW is trying for 35C. I don't know what a 35C is. Well, he's, it's, it's a, it's, he's trying to get his sentence, um, or, or his, his, he's trying to get, uh, or retried, or, or, you know, I, I think the 35C is either throwing out his complete, Anthony, I don't know if you know about this, 35C. Oh, 254, is he doing like a federal hate, or what, because he's down the pipe with I, his, I, 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 lo I looked into it, and, and this was just a, a, another fake book rumor. Um, so I, I would say no. The answer to that question is no, but we'll look into it. I'll have Joe Murray check out the 35C, and we'll get back to you on that. I'm on it. Um, but I did, I remember I looked into it, and um, it was deemed a, a fake book. It's rumor. a PCR, it's a post-conviction release, so it's under, now mind you, he's going to apply it to the state of Colorado, not to Wisconsin. So that's, uh, I don't I don't think he can do that, uh, yeah. by the way, by the way. Yeah, so I mean, everybody, got everybody's doing it post-conviction release. It's not happening. This mother will never see the light of day. He's a filthy egg, and he will <laughs> not get out. For those of you who are thinking that or even talking about it, I would say you're wasting your breath and you should concentrate your efforts in something more positive. Yeah, if I may, all the 35C relates to the due process and not so much the person being guilty or not. What they do is they look for the technicalities behind the, uh, the investigative process or whatever it is. So it's not really, if you ever get let out on a PCR, it's not because you're not guilty. It's because there was a technicality in the due process. Yeah. In New York State, we have 44010, a 440 motion. And a lot of that, as Anthony uh, correctly pointed out, when you have your appeal, it's a direct appeal from the conviction, meaning the appellate court is looking over the shoulder of the judge at what the judge saw. But a lot of times, things aren't on the record that happened. So in a 44010, you can bring in outside evidence that the court never looked at to see if there was a due process violation, a mode of proceedings violation that's right. not on the record, and that's usually what happens with. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see the, this going down. This 35C with him, this is just a pipe dream. Uh, Deanne says, Deanne Courtney says. They don't take too kindly to killing women and children in prison, do they? Keith, Anthony? You know, they, they don't. But, you know, the odd thing about it is it's much more accepted in a male institution than it is a female institution. Is it like a tiger stripe for these, for these animals? I hate to use that well, word. No, it's not. But, you know, a woman, if a woman goes to prison for killing her children, she is really ostracized. If a man goes to prison for killing his children, unfortunately, the attitude among inmates is, well, it's just another murder. It's not that big of a deal to a lot of inmates. Wow. You know, they, they sexually assaulted the children before they killed them, things like that. 
that raises it to a whole other level. But, uh, hmm. you know, they, they don't say kindly to anybody who kills children. It's, it's a different dynamic in a different institution. Right, and as Keith mentioned before, sometimes they house similar crimes together, like Chris Watts is housing someone else who's been, I mean, very hard, but you'll have some inmates that put a lot of it on the facility, like you'll have an inmate that says, I don't want to be uh, put with this pedophile, you better get this pedophile out, or I'm going to do something about it. You know, so the institution has to make a decision, because you can't be moving this person around every cell, you know, you don't have an option to pick and choose yourself, but most of the time, I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't think it's as uh, crazy as people may think it is. I mean, sometimes these pedophiles, these sex offenders, put themselves in important positions where the inmates wind up needing them because they tend to be smart. They wind up getting jobs in, like, social service aides, paralegals, and the inmates wind up becoming um, obligated to them in some sense. There you go. Hey, let me read this super chat. comes in from Jennifer Nobles from Bakersfield, California. $5 super chat. She says, this panel is awesome. Much respect to Connie, Anthony, Joe, Keith, and of course, Uncle Duty Ron. Uncle Duty <laughs> <laughs> Ron. So, uh, all of my friends and folks that were following the Orin and Orson West case, those are the two boys from California City, were three and four at the time. They're now four and going on five. Um, yeah, missing, uh, reported allegedly missing from. Uh, uh, California City by their adoptive parents, Trizel and Jacqueline West. Uh, so I am, uh, you know, their boots on the ground over there. Jennifer lives in that community and Roro and all the biological family. I support them through all of the fundage that comes through this channel. Uh, we have supported the digital billboard, which is a huge expense, but it's kind, generous donors from the Duty Ron family. Uh, sending in their donations and five months in a row over five thousand dollars we've spent on digital billboards and put another four thousand dollars up for reward money so we're close to ten thousand dollars in that um in in that case and jennifer is a, an intricate part of it so thank you jennifer nobles for your kind words and generosity um diane is my next door neighbor across the street she was just in my living room today poking me in the arm as she's talking to me like an Italian. She's, Ron, poking me, Ron, Ron. And I'm like, get out of my house, get out. <laughs> anyway, Connie, I would love to have you as a neighbor. We'd have a lot of drinks together, me and you. Even if you don't drink, I'd force you to. <laughs> you go Bill Cosby? No. <laughs> Anthony, I, I'm going to have to just get somebody to drink the drink first. <laughs> Anthony took it to a level that it didn't have to go to. The humor. Listen, we have to put humor into this because we're talking about a very serious case here. And when you talk about these crime cases, as we all know, as law enforcement professionals, that includes obviously the corrections community. We're brothers and sisters in, uh, in, in law enforcement, and we always turn to humor to kind of try to get through these stressful moments. So uh, that's what it's all about, uh, jarring up with each other back and forth and kind of just talking and talking and talking. Emily Florida, great to see you. I always say her name wrong. It's Flotilia. She's my very first channel member. When I first started channel memberships, she said, I'm joining first. She is my very first channel member. Thank you for your long-term support on this channel. If you're new and first time, 
please hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, so you will get all things Duty Ron when I go live or upload another video. And I want to also invite you to go over to Tier Talk uh, on YouTube and subscribe. I'm going to pull up his channel right now, uh, so just bear with me because I'm technologically challenged. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to do it. I'm pretty good at this stuff. I'm getting better. Um, <laughs> give me a second. Stop laughing. And here we go. Um, where is it? Tear talk. Come on. Oh, there it is. All right. So here we go. This is the YouTube channel for Anthony. He has a lot of great um, live streams on there. He's got a lot of great guests. Go over and hit that bell like I did. I hit the notification bell. I get all of his notifications. Uh, if he gets to be annoying, you can put none on like that. Uh, but right now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and give it him all. Um, and that's his uh, YouTube channel. And also, guess what, guys? Cops and Corrections. This is our good friend, Captain Keith. This is his YouTube channel. He's only got 782 subscribers. I don't know why the hell he's got that little. So let's bring him over to over 1,000 tonight. Everybody go on over and subscribe to Cops slash Corrections. And let's support our brothers and sisters in blue uh, on the correction front. Connie, I'm going to link your book and all of the media for you. Uh, people loved your stuff from the last time. Kelly, thank you for becoming a new member. Guys, remember, these are family members that are going through uh, this process. The victims of these heinous crimes, you need to show respect and give them the dignity and respect that they deserve. Do not talk about these victims and their family members. The Rusek family has been tortured with this Watts case. I only speak about it when I'm giving educational stuff like this. This is a side that everybody wants to know, and we all want to know that Chris Watts is not having a good time in prison. And I can tell you from my professionals that are here, without them actually telling me and saying, yes, he's having a crummy time, I can say, because I can do it, because I'm not in that field, he's having a time. <laughs> a real time. Uh, it's not one day that he's having a good time there. There is no high-fiving and kumbaya. Uh, it's it's a really difficult place to be, and he deserves, like Connie said. Connie said it the best. You're not supposed to have a good time in prison, right? So that's what we got. I want to thank all my guests, including Joe Murray, who is coming from his office over in Long Island, New York. He's a criminal defense attorney. If you need Joe Murray's services, you can hit him up on his website. I will link that below down in the description. I'm going to also link uh, links to Keith, uh, Sergeant uh, Captain uh, Helwig's web's, um, YouTube channel and his books. He's got, I think, two or three, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I have three books out. Uh, my last one is uh, First Totally Nonfiction. It's by officers or about officers from around the world. Excellent. So, I'm going to link his books. Um, yeah, I'm going to link his books all in the description. I'm going to link everything uh, from Anthony and Connie in down below. Uh, an hour and 22 minutes. So again, I lied to my guest. I told Keith that he'd be done in 40 minutes. I I definitely <laughs> that's for sure. So um, can I ask one more question? Um, can you send another super chat? I'm only kidding. <laughs> go ahead, brother. Go go. I'm dying because 
I love your corrections uh, panel that, that you have. They're wonderful. Now, if I was to run for mayor, one of the things that Mayor Giuliani did is he merged housing, transit, and NYPD. I thought he stopped short of bringing corrections in. I think corrections should be part of the police department. I know corrections has a gang unit, intelligence unit. There is so much valuable information that the NYPD can use and share with corrections on a, on a more fluid level if we were merged. Is that something you guys would consider as a positive move or you want to stay separate? Anthony, Anthony's going to jump right on this Yeah, guy. I'm jumping on that. By the way, I like you, Joe. I, 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 I want Ron community to know that I like you. Uh, yeah, just to get it out there. Hey, so some states, uh, corrections are already law enforcement. On the state I work in, our title's actually senior correctional police officers. The merge is great because, one, it allows us to get more funding. Uh, second thing, it gives more resources uh, to the community at large. And plus, I will tell you guys one thing. Uh, no one's better at handling a riot or whatever it is than those in corrections who really know how to, you know, communicate, but more importantly, maneuver. So I think it's a benefit. The only concern I have is I want people to know we're an add-on and not a replacement. I believe there's still, uh, sometimes there's a divide, sad to say, between police and corrections and allowing that to happen. I just wish that they would see us as equals. That's one of the original battles that he fights every day, I fight every day. I, I would love to see us accepted, uh, and then uh, yes, I think we can add a lot to that, 100%. That, that's a great question. Thanks. Jenny Diaz, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. You're keeping us in business. I appreciate that. Um, a lot of great questions coming in from the chat. Um, still 650 people here, so let me just say quickly, um, our guest, uh, Connie, uh, Anthony and Keith and now Joe Murray, we all, uh, uh, I mean, everybody in the chat has tremendous respect for you guys, and I, I hope that you guys will consider coming back soon uh, on the Duty Ron Crime Time channel. Uh, you guys are a really intricate part of uh, making this an educational live stream and not some, you know, rumors or some kind of speculation and things of that nature. What you're getting here is from a professional corrections perspective and a professional police perspective, professional medical perspective, and a professional law, um, the criminal defense attorney's perspective. So there's multifaceted uh, parts of the criminal justice system here, and it's all of them, you know, from when handcuffs are put on, and that's why I showed Chris Watts getting put in handcuffs to begin with, and then I showed him being transported, although that was a mess technologically. Uh, but we showed him going to the um, to the central lockup, and then we showed him in court being sentenced, and then we talked about the Dodge Correctional Facility. Um, thank you again, panel, for being here. I hope we could do this again really soon. Anybody have any parting words? Uh, Keith, I'll let you take it if you want. Anything for the folks for Chris Watts and how he's being handled in Dodge Correctional? i just like to reaffirm that Chris Watts is not in a fancy place. They don't get cable TV. They don't have movie night. They don't have a bowling alley. He is in a prison, and he's probably spent more time in a cell, particularly on weekends. He probably spends 23 hours in a cell. Uh, during the course of a weekday, he has to work between 9 and 43 cents an hour, which is not a good fast fortune, perhaps more than they deserve. But I can guarantee you that Chris Watts 
was not having a good time in prison. It was not a pleasant place to be. You know, as an officer, I always told my new officers that an inmate is in prison as punishment, not for punishment. So being in prison is a punishment in and of itself. So as an officer, it's not our job to make their life more miserable. We have a job to do, and it's as simple as that. 23 hours a day locked in a small 10 by 10 or whatever those cells are in that ancient facility that he's in, that's not any walk in the park. So he is definitely, you know, on lockdown and he's not getting to go out, stretch his arms and stretch his legs out and work out and sun bathe in the, uh, in the rec yard. That's not happening. So thank you for that, Keith. I appreciate it. Anthony, anything for the troops about Chris Watts? Uh, I, I just want to say in general, uh, Uncle Ron, I just want to say your community is phenomenal. Uh, you know, I just really enjoyed today's show. For Chris Watts, guys, don't forget, guys, us in corrections, uh, our job is to protect that inmate, uh, make sure that they serve their sentence. And uh, I think our, our biggest concern is always going to be the media releasing a story without giving any care to how now we have to manage that individual once that story gets released. And again, sometimes it's immediate when it's trending or sometimes it's later on when they put in for an appeal and, you know, just when things die down, voila, something magical, a lifetime picks up a special and now we're back to scrambling all over again. So again, good job to all the correctional officers that uh, keep these high profile inmates safe. Excellent. Thank you for that, Anthony. Connie, anything for the troops about Chris Watts? Listen, um, at the end of the day, he's an inmate like any other inmate, and we're going to treat him just as we would treat any other inmate. You know, we've got policies, procedures, standards. We follow it through and through. And so, you know, I don't believe there's going to be any special accommodations for him. He's an inmate right now, and he would be treated as such. Outstanding. Thank you. Joe Murray, I know you always got great parting words. Uh, anything about Chris Watts? Yeah, I know you didn't give you much intel on this guy, but... Just, no, no, absolutely. I love this community. I love your guests. They are the consummate professionals. <laughs> They're going to carry out their job. Corrections will do their job and treat him like any other inmate. Be careful what you wish for. Sometimes, and I'll give you a perfect example, you remember police officer Eddie Byrne, who was executed a police officer in 103rd Precinct in Jamaica. He was executed while guarding a witness's house. The guy that murdered him, one of them, while in prison, was injured and uh, filed a civil rights violation and won 300 and something thousand dollars because of what happened to him. Thank the Lord. Back then, our legislature, New York State Legislature, got together and said, look, we're going to amend the Son of Sam law to allow crime victims, not just because of their notoriety, but any crime victim who's a victim of a B felony or worse, in this case, a murder, we're going to seize their assets and go after it. But my point is, be careful what you wish for. Somebody who is injured, uh, in the course of their, their prison, gets a lawyer and files a lawsuit. Now, all of a sudden, there hundreds of that Our tax dollars are going to now reward them. Mm. So I think what they said is totally appropriate. He'll be treated like every other inmate, and that's what he should get. 
Excellent. Thank you for that, Joe. And you know what? Anything that you contribute to this live stream and all of our previous ones are an asset to this community because these are words spoken from a really uh, a person who has been on both sides of the coin. So, Joe Murray, I thank you. And I want to ask you quickly while I have you here, um, will you come on to talk about the, um, the, the new indictment on Lori Daybell Vallow? She is now, I sent you, I think, uh, a, a day or so ago. Will you come on and we'll do, you and I, a live stream about that soon? Absolutely. That's yeah. so interesting. So interesting that they now indicted her for her, her ex-husband, uh, the previous ex-husband that her brother is alleged to have killed. Chad Vell. Yep. So, um, I mean, uh, Chad, Charles Vallow. So we are going to get into that, me and Joe Murray, and I, I may bring on uh, um, Bill Cannon as well into that. Let me put myself uh, full screen here while I just give you a quick message. Uh, you guys still hang out in the back there because we'll end it all together. I want to just say this to my true crime community and my content creators. For those of you that are out there uh, that are continually making videos about Chris Watts, please consider stopping doing that. You're causing lots of anxiety for the Rusek family. And it's right now I'm taking this opportunity to take the stage and say, I beg of you guys to stop talking about the crime and stop talking about possible potential twists to this crime. The perpetrator is in jail and sentenced. The case is over. So for those of you who are continually uh, creating an, a, a, an environment of continued stress for the Rusek family, for Mama Rusek, for uh, Frank Sr. and Frank Jr., I beg of you guys to stop doing it because you're causing these people a lot of undue stress. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And I hope that people do consider listening to what I have to say. Guys, uh, Connie, Anthony, Keith, and Joe, thank you for joining. As I always say on all of my live streams, God bless the world. God bless the United States of America. And God bless each and every one of us here in the chat. All victims of crime and their families across the globe. Good night from New York City. And thank you again, guests, for being here. And the moderators and people in the chat and my replay viewers. Good two little kids and then he's talking to the cops hours later like nothing happened yeah but i think the cops are on for him and he's looking for exits he's looking to do a runner he's looking to get away and the cops know it I, I, yeah I, I saw him looking like chase's kid when he spilled chocolate milk on the carpet all right you guys ready hang on, hang on. let yeah, me ready, ready people ready. around yeah we're in the right place all right here we go i'm scott rouse my body language expert and analyst I trained law enforcement, the military, in interrogation and body language. I created the number one online body language course, Body Language Tactics, with Greg Hartley. Mark? I'm Mark Bowden. I'm an expert in human behavior and body language. I help people all over the world to stand out, win trust, gain credibility every time they communicate, including some of the leaders of the G7. Chase? I'm Chase Hughes. I did 20 years in the U.S. military. Today, I train civilians and intelligence agencies in interrogation, behavior profiling, influence, and enhanced persuasion. 
I'm also the number one best-selling author of the Ellipsis Manual on Behavior Profiling, Influence, and Persuasion. Greg. I'm Greg Hartley. I'm a former Army interrogator, interrogation instructor, resistance to interrogation instructor. I've written 10 books on body language and behavior. Put together this number one bodylanguagetactics.com course with Scott, and I spend most of my time on Wall Street and corporate America. Okay, we're going to talk about Chris Watts. The panelists have spoken again, and we got inundated with emails about uh, Chris Watts, the body language, or the uh, body cam footage, when the police show up and start talking to him, and the, detec the uh, detectives. So that's what we're going to be talking about as we go through this. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Ready. Here we go. It didn't look like she went through and packed up no, a I mean, bag or anything. all that at the bottom, so it'd be kind of hard to tell if she took a little bit or, Tell you anything about leaving, moving out? Not moving out. I mean, the last I'm talking to her was this morning. She said she's going to take the kids to a friend's house, and then she asked where she was going to be. And then I texted her today and never heard anything. But cars, cars here, cars right. here. Unless somebody came and picked her up. But the people that I know, nobody's heard from her. Yeah, so this guy, right off from the beginning, starts off by evading eye contact throughout the video. You see him, he's running away almost. He's running from the problem. And then when they ask him the question, is she leaving or moving out, he says, not moving out. Well, he's projecting something when he says that. If I were questioning him, I'd say, okay, what does that mean, exactly not moving out? Why did you say no? Why didn't you say no? Well, we know later that he'll come in. As you look further into this video, you're going to see him talking about an argument, a fight, a breakup, and that kind of thing. Then he goes... I call that pregnant information. No horrible choice of words in this situation, but that's preg a pregnant statement, not moving out with an exclamation point almost. Then he says, she said, blah, 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 and then. And then is classic for hiding time. After she said that, he killed her. We know he killed her. And it's that and then that hides time. Um, I think Joe Navarro and Jack Schaefer call that verbal bridging. I would say it's hiding time. But those are great indicators that something's going on. Then he says, but then he does a request for approval. As he raises his brow, makes riveting eye contact, something Scott and I in our true crime workshop call uh, the romancer. And then he starts to sway slightly. So he's a middle school romancer to get a dance. So he's doing this little sway. What's interesting about that is if you were to go and talk to his neighbors, there's a real special on right now. And the neighbor that we'll see in a minute on a video two down will say that he never swayed in normal conversation. So it's not his baseline is when he's under stress. So we'll take that. You also then will go and look at a, a thing he did that Chase, you, you shared earlier today around keep staying in a relationship. And you can see when he's nervous in that video, he's swaying as well. Mark, what do you got? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. We see him swaying in that when he's under stress. And we see that when he's doing presenting. So good call out on that. Um, you hear him say hard to tell if she took a little bit or not and then we see a lot of mouth action there i think the mouth is already drying out there and that's why we get all that mouth action around there he's already under stress around uh, around that his illustrators are, are, are not in sync with with what he's saying he'll 
he'll do the action and then the, the, the words will catch up or he'll do some words and then the action will catch up. So they're out of sync at the moment, which makes me feel like he's, he's making something up here. He ends with uh, open palm gestures in the, in the truth plane here. Good, honest gestures something makes me think actually having seen that presentation of him that that video of him presenting that around about uh, you know in 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 2010 i guess it was he may well have read one of my books uh, not paid as much attention to it as he should have in fact we'll see him uh, using asymmetrical gestures in the truth plane later on uh, as well but he, he goes for that and then he holds it there and you've got to keep moving like you've got to keep moving he's like going do you see i'm being honest and and i'm waiting for the cop to go oh, i see you're being really honest there mate well well done uh so i wouldn't be surprised if he read uh, winning body language when he was preparing to do his his presentations and and he's trying to play a little bit of that a uh, little bit of knowledge uh, can be a really bad thing uh chase what do you got seeing here is forced ambiguity. So he is deliberately forcing ambiguity and uncertainty into the situation. And a lot of this, we see this signature eyebrow flash for approval. Every time he wants to appear innocent, every time he wants somebody to, to approve of what he's saying, we see this signature eyebrow flash. I talk a whole lot about how to leverage this for persuasion in a lot of my courses and, and on uh, YouTube videos. And I think this gesture when he's pointing to himself, like concealing his hands while he's talking about some of this stuff right near his stomach is very telling. I've seen lots of guilty people do this. I have seen very few innocent people do this, this palm towards the body when they're illustrating or what Desmond Morris would call a baton gesture that's moving along with the cadence of somebody's speech. And I think he's putting this whole story together as he goes. So this piece is coming out. He realizes the car is still there. It's something I need to talk about. He mentions the car three times. He says car three times there while he's talking about it. And at the end of this, he says the people I know. And I'm a words person, uh, especially when it comes to behavioral profiling. In talking to where my wife might be, it would be the people she knows or the people we know. And I think that's a very important use of pronouns. And in a couple of videos later, I'm going to show you something you can use at home or the police should have used in this situation to identify something that uh, you know immediately that this is a red flag. Scott? All right. I agree with you, Chase, and, that, and that's going to be good because what we're seeing here is we're seeing the same question asked several times. During this video, we're, or during this breakdown, we're going to see the cops act as a team. And man, do they ever, they've gelled so well. I'm sure they've worked together a long time. These guys are great. And I'll explain that as we go along. As we get further down, I'll tell you, I'll explain to you what they're doing. Like Mark was talking about, we see these lags in his illustrators. The illustrators, again, are the things that people use when they are when their brain is emphasizing specific words and phrases. Like I just said, specific words and phrases. So when you have a lag in your illustrators, if you say something and then it comes down or doesn't come down on time as you're talking about them, 
Basically, something's going on in there. You're thinking, and he's thinking because he's, the stress level comparatively compared to how it's going to be a little bit later on is really low. It's really low. He's just talking. It seems like he's just talking to this guy. But when he starts, and we'll notice that he uses his his hands and I believe it's the passion plane this morning up in yeah. here when he's talking about um, go back to yeah I read all your books. So when he comes back to uh, his illustrators, he's up in the passion plane when he's talking about things that he knows are true and things that he's done or he's familiar with and he's comfortable talking about. So it doesn't mean he's telling the truth when they're up here. All it means at this point is he's confident with saying those things because he's used to saying them. He's thought those out a little bit further than the other things where he comes down here. And when he gets down here, almost in the grotesque plane, Mark, then yeah. when he comes down here and they freeze, and after he ans answers the question, they, they just sit down there and he just bang, he's burning that cop. He just keeps looking at him because he's watching him to see if he needs to add any um, qualifiers to that, which later on as we go along and, and his stress level gets higher and higher, he starts adding qualifiers where he doesn't even need to. Qualifiers are the things that make your answer sound more believable. It gives it more punch, more, more oomph, and things that just dress it up and make it sound like a true statement or something that's believable. So that's pretty much what I got. Is good? Yeah, I, I love the repeat questions. Guys, from an interrogation oh, point of view, these repeat questions are beautiful. These these cops work well together. I'm going to tell you guys something. We can keep it here. We are not. But this is the same place where Pinky is in trouble. This is the same DA. This is the same police department. So this will be an interesting one to watch play out. It didn't look like she went through and packed up no, a I mean, bag or anything. Is, is all that in the bottom, so it'd be kind of hard to tell if she took a little bit or, I mean, you use a cup a lot, but it's hard to tell if she took a little bit or not. Okay. she tell you anything about leaving, moving out? Not moving out. I mean, last time I talked to her was this morning. She said she's going to take the kids to a friend's house, and then she asked where she was going to be. And then I texted her today and never heard anything, but cars, cars did. Right. Unless somebody came and picked her up. But the people that I know, nobody's heard from her, nobody's seen her. Right. here which I think are extraordinary first of all I want you to check out when he goes to look for the exit so that's usually a good a good kind of indicator that that somebody's ready to do a runner they're ready to escape they're looking for windows doors any way that they might be able to get out quick this is happening unconsciously by the way I would say he's not actually thinking in his head oh yeah where have I the unconscious mind has taken over. It's fight or flight. He's right in it. How do we know it's fight or flight? We've got there something that I would call extreme venting. 
best thing is when you see somebody like trying to get air to their body. He's doing extreme venting, which means he's trying to lose heat from under here because fight and flight is, is kicking up the adrenaline and now he's gone into a into a metabolism where he's doing something called fat cleaving by the way but when you start cleaving cleaving fats using adrenaline uh, there's a lot of heat produced from that so extreme venting uh, one last thing about this as well as we're talking about gesture planes we've talked about the truth plane here and the passion plane here right up here is called the ecstatic plane and when you start to suppress in the ecstatic plane, it means you're really trying to hold yourself down. You're trying to stop yourself exploding. Ecstatic from the Greek, ecstasis, which means to be outside of yourself. It's literally you're trying to stop an out-of-body experience. Fight or flight has got you into such an out-of-body experience. You're trying to just hold it together. So venting and holding it together at the same time and unconsciously looking for the exit. I've never seen anything like this it's, it's pretty extraordinary uh greg what do you got yeah so i have seen this i've seen people a little bit different situation but when you get to that fat cleaving it also leaves protein build up in the corners of your mouth you start to see it i've seen it in sear mostly because that's where the highest duress you'll ever see is it's a stress laboratory i call this the hostage plane in this case he realizes oh i'm in trouble i'm i'm, I'm, I'm jumping on your plane but this hostage plane uh oh uh oh and even then He's adapting at every turn. I would call this the, and you can, the oak moment for him. When he does something my dad would have said, you ain't too swift, are you, boy? He even calls out the fact he violated his own baseline by saying, I usually park on the street. Well, if I suddenly had parked up there and my wife disappeared that day, I might say, yeah, I pulled in there to drop this off. I wouldn't say I usually park on the street because now we got a baseline issue. There's a problem. Then he starts the adopt, that adapter of sucking on the hair at his lower lip. He does that cell phone, which this, guys, is the most, this is the ultimate adapter. This is not just touching something. It's dopamine release, and it, this is, represents all the humans you know. This is partnering with everybody you know. This is the precious. So this guy's doing that and getting himself as much away from this problem as he possibly can, even to the point he takes one hand off and jacks around with his phone after all that. You don't get much worse than this in terms of, uh-oh, I made a mistake. And that, for me, is where it's at. Scott, what do you got? I think his limbic system at this point is is, is lighting up. And I think it's not on fire yet, but it's going to be in, our, in the next one, you see. He's all lit up. Because what he's doing with his hands on his head, he's trying to get more, to me, what it looks like, he's trying to get more oxygen. Plus, it's a it's, it's definitely um, an adapter at that point. When his, when his hands are up there, he's walking around. He's not quite marching yet. But he's getting there. So the more he heats up, literally, the more he's trying to get rid of that heat, and the more he's trying to, to breathe better by having his, his hands on his head. That helps him a lot. Uh, his mouth is open for the same reason. And we'll see that as we go. When, when stress starts to hit him really hard, that mouth gets open. And we'll see toward the end, when he's talking to the, the cops near the dining room, that's when his mouth is all the way open. It just looks like there's something wrong with him because he's breathing heavily through, through his mouth. Now, if you'll notice when we go through this, the police questions, as they question him, they'll ask a question and then zip it. That's it. And this, this is, we talked about in the True Crime Workshop, is what they're trying to do is, he's not sure if he's, if he's under threat, if he should feel threatened or not, if there is a threat. He knows it's a threat because he did this and they might catch him, but he doesn't understand yet whether or not they've uh, caught on to what he's doing or they believe he's done it yet. He's just now, it's just now hitting him, maybe they don't believe me. 
So that's the kind of, that's another reason for his limbic system condition being getting close to on fire because it's really firing up at that point. His movements are stressed. I mean, and they're really, they're really, really tight and they're really, um, they're not smooth at all. When he starts moving, moving around and pointing stuff, his arm is just straight and he's doing all these weird movements. We're going to talk about how he locks in on the TV, that little section of the TV in, in the next one. But Chase, what do you got? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Scott. That limbic system is firing off, which increases adrenaline. We have adrenaline going up, which also, right there with adrenaline, is correlated a desire or need for oxygen. So the body says, okay, adrenaline's going up, I need more oxygen. You see his mouth hanging open to get more oxygen. Somebody who's feeling a little bit of this, they'll see nostril flaring behavior. And the nostrils flare, the behavior nerds uh, like us, this term is called winged dilation, if you ever want to look that up. But this is to oxygenate the blood going into the brain during times of stress. See this sometimes during inception, but this is extreme. This is the limbic system. And with Greg, what you said about him saying usually, that's like the classic illustration of that ambiguity. Where, like, I say, Greg, what did you do uh, after you left work Wednesday night? And Greg says, Oh, I usually drive. A lot of interrogators uh, would take that at face value and just let that sit. Uh, but I think they're. These cops in this video are doing exactly what they should be doing. And I think they're seeing a lot of it. One thing you're seeing here is him shrinking. So the, our bodies are targets for predators. And the more limbic system activates with fear, it, it says you need to get your body smaller. The exception to this is the elbows out with the hands on the head, which shows submission or deference according to all the research. And the way to tell whether this is someone who's confident and relaxed, as we also see somebody with their hands up there, is posture and chest. Posture straight? Nope. Is the chest poking out? Nope. So that's when we say this is submission and deference, most likely. And you see a lot of this, what I call exit checking or you know, searching for an exit. And he's almost into hyperventilation at this. And what we see is Greg's classic description of the chained elephant here. He doesn't know what to do because his body has all this adrenaline and his body is saying, hey, this needs to come out. I need to expend some of this. I need to burn it off. Yeah, Chase, one thing I always notice is when people are doing, you know, the hostage plane thing, whatever you want to call it, when you're doing confidence, your hands are here, not there typically. You do see it, but most of the time it's not there. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. So, these guys are brilliant. Oh, yeah, great job, great job. It gets really exciting brilliant. here in a minute.
Tony Sweeney got. He's in, he's now escalated to full panic. Everything we see, we see hyperventilation, actual hyperventilation. His breathing rate is around a, a 40 at this point. And this is absolute verbal and physical submission. And you can tell if, if you're in law enforcement or if you're a parent or if you're in any human interaction. I want you to watch from this video, it escalates going forward in the next videos, how quickly he responds to sounds and movement of other people talking or that could potentially be addressing him that his brain sees as a potential threat or something he needs to focus on. So how fast his head turns. And this is in normal conversation where there's no threat, value focused. So if the CEO of the company starts talking, your head turns quickly. But everyone around him has value, so to speak, because they pose a potential threat. And the speed that we will redirect attention to another person the moment they begin talking is a very, very good indicator especially for law enforcement, but for anybody. And his illustrators are jerky and rigid when he's explaining stuff. And this is one of the things that all of us teach to recognize when we're talking to victims of human trafficking, if, if they're explaining themselves. And at the end of the video, we see him again, this big exhale, and he's turning back to the exit again to look out, out the front door. Uh, Greg? Yeah, nice cover. That, that whole quickness of moving your attention, Chase, and we'll see it get even more interesting later, but that's a great point to, to point out. He's back to this middle school romancer thing. His, remember, we call the romancer, I've only got eyes for you. They pay close attention because what they're trying to do is intake all the threat to ensure they're not missing something and they're addressing what you want. That's why we call them the romancer. And he's doing his little dance. His, he does a classic, what I call chaff and redirect. The minute they give him the opportunity to talk about something he knows, He's even down to, they used a flat point screwdriver. He's redirecting. He's throwing out as much garbage as he has, hoping that you'll chase one of them. When they say my detective, blink rate goes up. And this is one of the things at True Crime Workshop we talk about is the difference between an average cop who is securing the site and making sure there's no more threat, and then when the detective shows up, often people can't tell the difference. You'll be able to tell the difference when this guy starts asking questions, and it shows up. So keep stay with us and watch that. Um, he may not know the difference yet, but then he does. His body language is face on. He's trying to do the right thing. I think, Mark, you're right. Maybe you read one of your books. He tries to do the right thing. Arms open, looking right at you. Sway slows a little bit when he gets to facts. When he's doing facts, he illustrates. He starts to do those pieces. And then he points to you would see it right there. And what I want to say is you mean where your truck that's usually parked on the street is? but they don't need to. They are masterful at leaving silence to let him start to spiral into the death spiral of a lie. So there's that. Uh, Mark, what do you got? Yeah, so concur with all of that. Breathing rate is, is right up there. Again, look at the top of the clothing here. You'll be able to see just how fast that breathing and how he has to catch a big breath right at the start and, and at the end. Um, 
absolutely redirects on that, the whole thing of, of, of redirecting the crime. Well, there's, there's been some breaking and entering going on, and some pretty poor breaking and entering as well, because people have just been jimmying stuff with screwdrivers. I mean, so, so, <laughs> so it's like, you know, low-grade breaking and, and entering. So don't, don't, don't look at what might possibly be a murderer. There's some low-grade breaking and entering going on over there. So classic redirect there. Um, now, what's interesting for me, I love, is the neighbor is already indicating uh, to the officer that there's there's no outside interference. He says, well, you know, I'd have seen if anybody came in. So he's already starting to inform the the, the officer of, of, of what, you know, a local believes, already believes is really going on here. Uh, but notice how the officer is not really responding to that. It's not that he's not getting the signal. He knows to keep it low-key. He knows to keep it quiet. He knows to keep this guy talking. He doesn't want to get get the, uh, the potential perpetrator here worried that they're on to him. Um, but there is that sense of, of loss from Watts. We see him shrink right down when the neighbor says that it would be able to pick something up. If anything had been out there, it would be able to pick it up, and we see him shrink. And we get that abdominal curve. So when you see him move around, look at the curvature that's there. He's moved the abdomen right in, hunched his shoulders over. You'll see this gesture a lot in, in um, uh, adolescent, pubescent. Uh, you'll see it a lot. They're, often they might even walk around consistently with that spinal curve going on in order to protect this area because they're now feeling just a general sense of unsureness because of the hormones that are going through there. You know, if you gave you or, you or I, you know, adults, those kind of levels of testosterone or, or estrogen, we'd be tearing the place up. So it's a weird world for an adolescent. Um, but you're seeing quite an adolescent um, curvature of the spine there. So, so interesting to see that uh, he's, he's, he may be even kind of retreating in age a little bit, you know, worried about the pressure that's coming on him. So, uh, Scott, what do you got? Uh, yeah, you guys pretty much cleaned up there. <laughs> you got dang near everything. So, but I'll, but I'll, I'll go around and agree with everybody. Greg, you're right. When, when he's talking about facts, things he knows about, that's when those illustrators get big again. Because he's comfortable doing it. And he goes back to those because he, he, needs, he feels like he needs to talk because that cop isn't talking. And his buddy is, you know, he just, yeah, when they're talking. But so he feels like he needs to expend the, the, some information. So he starts talking about this truck thing out of nowhere. Cop didn't ask him about it. Nothing. But he starts talking about it because he feels it helps him relax. So acting like he's helping with something and acting like he's giving information that, that, that might be of help. Now we're going to hear the story again about the tools. Uh, several times throughout throughout these videos he keeps going back to that again i think it's because it helps him feel okay it's something that he knows he can actually tell the truth about and actually speak loudly and with confidence and use his illustrators the way, the way they're supposed to be used so that's why i think he keeps going back to that then we're seeing the, the extreme stress starts starts coming out we're not quite the monkey mouth yet his mouth is just open and it closes it but we're getting there we're getting really close we'll see in a little while uh, lance armstrong does it in, in his uh interview with uh, Oprah Winfrey and man it's good because he does the whole thing he's just sitting there and he just goes <laughs> out of nowhere I love it's that just term weirdest, I... yeah it's just the weirdest looking thing it, and uh, yeah so I'll leave, I'll leave it there when we get there um, my detective just showed up um, so he'll probably want to talk to you he's probably like 
said he might have you call at the bank and see if there's any kind of activity. Because um, if there is any sort of action out there, his camera, so I would have got it. Like right. we, had, uh, we had issues the other, other week when people were coming for stealing stuff out of like garages and stuff like that. And I had a park my car right here. Right here. Yeah. So someone, see I can see if someone tried to jimmy with a flathead screwdriver over there. And it was just like, but if any action would happen, any cars or anything left your house, I would have been like right in that area. It's just six Oh, it'll pick up anything coming down the street this way. You know what that trailer is doing? Oh, yeah. Okay. Watch out. Yeah, so I love this. I'm going to concentrate on the neighbor, okay? What I want you to notice is even when he's controlling the TV, his eyes are actually on Watts. And you'll see his eye movement and his head movement is following Watts's movement. So I would suggest the neighbor already knows this is odd behavior, okay? This is a rhythm that's either odd for Watts or very likely as well just odd to have in his space because my guess is he's no well he will be able to smell the fear i mean literally he will be having an olfactory response to the molecules that the lactic acid uh, and the uric acid that is a byproduct of that fat cleaving because of the adrenaline that's running around there he'll literally be able to smell that but you'll see his eyes are are, are watching him even as he's doing some other operation there. So the neighbor is onto him around that. Really special to see, I think. Um, and I just want to pick up on the end of, again, another redirect at the end around the medical issue, a potential medical issue. It's just like, like somebody's ill, look over there. Again, classic redirect on that one. Um, I'm going to go Scott. Scott, what do you got? Okay, great. Well, his, his stress load is so large now, he's actually marching around. March around almost in a circle. You know, he cannot blow off enough of his stress and that, that pent-up energy from being, from being stressed. And then you see him taking his deep breaths. And then the qualifiers he's adding with that with the thing about blood sugar come out of nowhere. It just, you know, he just starts talking about her, her blood sugar. That's why her blood sugar was low. Granted, there's some stuff on the TV, you know, that you go, oh. But he starts talking about that. And that's another thing that, that another thread that runs through this because he's trying to say that must have been what happened to her. She's, she's got low blood sugar because she had that problem before. She passed out in her car and had a car wreck. Uh, it, that's part of, that's one of the questions over in this big, long, three-hour um, bunch of videos or single video we watch with her. But that's not even the thing we're talking about. So he keeps bringing that up as if that's probably the problem. I think that's, that's probably just crashed somewhere or something like that. So he's building his story, trying to get them to believe he believes that's what happened at that point. And then up to this point, He's never told him she's pregnant. Never mentioned it. Just like just the, the two kids and his wife. That's it. And he sees that thing on TV, that fetus on TV. He goes, oh, yeah, she's pregnant. My wife's also pregnant. 14, 15 weeks. He doesn't even know for sure. I think it was 15 weeks. And up 
to this point, hadn't even mentioned that. That would be a pretty big deal. That would be something that would make you have all the, the expressions of grief, all every muscle you've got on your face that heads toward grief, those things would fire up because you'd be thinking about that child that's not going to be here anymore, much less your wife, you don't know where she is, and your kids, everybody in your, your family is missing. And this cat's just walking around, you know, he's on fire, limbically speaking, but he's not showing any any kind of sadness. He's not showing true worry. No, no expressions whatsoever show any of that. Greg, what do you got? Yeah, so you guys have hit a lot of this. Um, Mark, I'm going to go back and talk for a minute about that smell because having worked with prisoners most of my life, I can tell you that there's a smell you can't mistake. I have no sense of smell left these days, but I'll bet I could still smell that because it's more than a smell. It's a heavy feeling at the back of your sinuses, the back of your throat, when you're around people who are in the heightened fight or flight enough that they're starting to produce all those chemicals. Interestingly, when people go through ketosis and they go through starvation and all this stuff, a person's biology makes the smell. So some people would smell like perfume. Some people smell like alcohol. Some people smell like flowers. It's just a different smell depending on who you're around. While that might seem stupid to you, somebody on here who's a scientist who knows all that biology Tell us down below what causes all that, because I'm telling you, it does. I've had plenty of people under high duress, and I've seen enough of them to know that the smell is there. But that heavy fear smell is certainly there. So, Mark, you're dead on with that. The other one, this guy who's his neighbor said he never did this thing. I watched an interview with him. He said he never did this thing. So, yeah, of course he knows this guy has turned. He, this guy's turned and is running, and the dogs are about to go after him. And so it'll be interesting to watch. He's doing a ton of adapters. He's doing whatever it takes. He's dancing around and trying to get rid of all that nervous energy. That phone, again, for him is that nervous energy. He can touch that. And that phone is bigger. Guys, in our culture, you can't miss how powerful this. Mark, kids, you're dead on. You see them touching this thing constantly. It's the reason there's screen time. It's addictive to people. It's that powerful. The reason you track screen time and know how much you've done it. So all of that energy has to go somewhere. And Quite candidly, I've not weighed in on this guy, but his level of scumbaggery is off the scale. This guy, I'm certain, he choked his wife. We know he choked his wife to death. He said how he did it. I think then he went about killing his children. He knew he had to kill his children and say that his wife had killed the children and he killed her. That was his story. And then only later does he come out and say, no, I killed my wife, then took my children alive to a place and killed them. This guy is among some of the worst, and I think that's why you see Chase is very frustrated talking about him and, and Scott and Mark. I mean, guys, this is a level you don't usually see, and these people know that this guy's done that. This is one of the worst body language things we've seen because this is one of the worst guys, one of the worst crime shows we've seen. So, yeah, Chase, what do you got? Yeah, I've talked to 